it's a weird thing to be like appreciative of this time, but like I do appreciate like you're saying there's never going to be a time like this again, hopefully, right? Um in my lifetime. And so if the one good thing I can do out of this is dive deeper into the things I love, then why not use this for good? Hello and welcome to Out Loud. Out Loud is a podcast by and for queer people of faith in the South. Here we tell our stories of varied religious upbringings, messy coming outs, and the gift of community with one another. And we are back after taking a little break. I'm your host, Greg Thompson, and the voice you just heard was my friend, Rachel Yacovone. If you're local to Nashville, you may recognize Rachel's voice as one of the reporters on WPLN, our local NPR station. She's been in Nashville just a little over a year and is originally from Southwest Florida. Rachel was raised Roman Catholic by her parents who are Puerto Rican and Italian and identifies as bisexual. And she currently attends West End United Methodist Church here in Nashville. Rachel and I actually just met a few months after she moved to Nashville through a small group I hosted in town for queer people of faith. And I am so glad to have her on the show today. In our conversation, we took a closer look at her family's history with faith, her own personal exploration of the Bible, and how the book of Esther is particularly relevant for finding hope in a year as tumultuous as 2020. This year, I've also had the pleasure of getting to know the folks over at St. Anne's Episcopal Church in East Nashville, one of our sponsors this season. Wherever you are in your quest for belief, St. Anne's welcomes you. They are a diverse, open, and accepting community of faith that seeks and serves Christ in all persons, working for a just and inclusive world by embracing the risks of ministry and leadership as they encounter God in scripture, tradition, and prayer. In case you didn't know, it was actually back in 1976 that the Episcopal Church declared that, quote, homosexual persons are children of God who have a full and equal claim with all other persons upon the love acceptance, and pastoral concern and care of the church. Since then, Episcopalians have allowed queer folks to serve as clergy, set up anti-discrimination provisions against transgender persons, and made the right of marriage available to all, regardless of gender. Likewise, St. Anne's affirms and welcomes the full participation of LGBTQIA folks in the life, leadership, and sacraments of their church. You can worship with St. Anne's online on Sundays. Just visit stannesnashville.org to learn more. And now, let's get into my interview with Rachel Yacovone. It is an absolute pleasure uh, getting to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So I want to start um, with a question I ask most people at the beginning of our interviews, um, which is just simply, uh, could you describe um, the religious background of your childhood? Yeah, so uh, like every Latino, um, but also because I'm Italian, I guess I was either way going to be Catholic. And my family, you know, was Sunday mass attending all the time. Um, And at home, you know, I saw my parents read the Bible most nights, never, you know, together. It was like a quiet activity, kind of like most of Catholicism. It was kind of always like a very 
heady kind of faith or denomination at least. But I am really glad, I guess, that my my parents, without really pushing it on us, did encourage it. You know, they bought us my favorite Bible was like, I think National Geographic. It was like some sort of secular publication that had published this really cool, like in-depth Bible that had all these like side notes. It kind of felt like you're reading National Geographic because it had like arrows to these sidebars that would be like, oh, well, this is what frankincense and myrrh are. And this is what they're used for. So me being such a nerdy kid really <laughs> enjoyed that part too. What what was your family's sort of practice around reading the Bible? Was it something that you you did together at a certain time? What was that like? No, so they would get us Bibles, like me and my sister, but um, really they would kind of say like, you can read it. We were avid readers in the family in general, but if we had questions, like feel free to ask. And some stories they would definitely like read to us. I remember being younger and having like more of that kid Bible, like the hardcover one. And they would read it before bed. You know, there were certain stories that I especially liked and would ask them to read over and over. I can still see like the clip art drawing of Noah with the rainbow. And then when I got maybe that more sciencey type of Bible, I remember there was a really gorgeous painting style almost of Bathsheba in like taking a bath. You know, <laughs> so um, that painting always, which. <laughs> Well, hello, I guess I'm queer, but uh, as a kid, I would look at it and be like, wow, she's so beautiful. And like, I didn't really fully get the story, you know? Um, So I remember asking my mom and she, my mom is very uh, straight to the point. (laughs) So I don't know how she had phrased it, but I remember being like, oh, oh, okay. Um, She's like, yeah, I mean, he just stole this woman from her husband and then had him murdered. So like, don't do that. (laughs) Like, okay, I wasn't planning on it. Thank you. Uh, but I remember I was like entranced by that page. Like I would go back and like, I was like, well, I get it. Like I get why he would have her husband murdered. Um, you know, as I'm saying this, why why did it take so long for me? <laughs> All right. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I have those little revelations um, all the time when I look back on like my childhood, but I, I can't say I've had that with like a particular Bible passage. Unless you, of course, talk about like the like the crucifix depiction of Jesus in like every church, and like there are certain versions of Jesus that are really like ripped and everything. Like I remember <laughs> yeah. that being problematic. I think growing up. <laughs> um. So so it sounds like would you say like your mom was kind of the the spiritual leader in the family? Like who was who was encouraging you guys to go to mass on Sunday mornings and and whatnot? Oh yeah, definitely my mom. I should have maybe mentioned my dad wasn't Catholic until they got together. I don't think my mom was going to make him in any way uh, convert, but he, she always said that she really liked that he seemed like inspired by her faith, you know, uh, which had to come up because um, I, I think they'd be fine with me mentioning this. They were very proud of it when I was growing up, but they were, this was their second marriage for both of them. And this was like, one of those, whatever you want to call it, like taking back your chastity or something. So because they'd been married before, um, they were deciding to, for their second marriage, again, wait for marriage. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. my mom was like, look, I don't care what your faith is, but this is my personal choice. So you got to be cool with that. And he was, but then on a second level, I think maybe seeing how important her faith was to her on this issue and many, um, it inspired him to really like he read the entire Bible and then was like, I'm converting and they got married, you know, in the Catholic church. 
That's actually um, similar for my family background. My dad was raised Southern Baptist, and it was this kind of slow and steady sort of um, observing my mother's faith from the sidelines, sort of, and and then slowly deciding that this was something that he wanted to be a part of too. Um, That's so interesting. I I'm always fascinated by people who convert to like to Catholicism because like especially when they come from another Christian denomination. I say all that and I'm like attending a Methodist church now, but um it's definitely the high church style like really speaks to me and I think it's because I was raised with it. Like you're so used to you come in, there's all these creeds, you've got like the our father at one point and like no matter your background, your economic status, your race, your ethnicity, everyone when I was growing up at least was holding hands, you know, not so much anymore. <laughs> you know, and it was like this big come together moment. And of course the Eucharist, like gosh, going to churches where they don't do the Eucharist every week, I'm like my soul feels <laughs> and I shouldn't like put like so much weight maybe into these really small things. But for Catholicism, obviously it's like a really big thing. This is the right. blood and the body of Christ. So um, yeah, which has been really awful on quarantine. Like now it's like not even just once a month. It's like, it's never. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a major struggle for, for Catholics not getting communion right now, but then just in general, I mean that this, this time of, the COVID-19 pandemic like has just shaken up people's ability to, to observe these rituals that they're so used to. Um, and it's something that I was thinking about before we sat down to chat. Like, I think that's something that queer people are um, maybe accustomed to having to navigate is this sort of like church homelessness that, um, that maybe that a lot of people I think are feeling right now is that like, we can't, go into churches for fear of catching a virus. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally see that parallel because it it's like when everyone's like, I can't go to church for the first time. I never felt that I couldn't go to church, but there was certainly a moment after I came out even where like, I felt like I was wearing it on my forehead, you know? So like I was sitting there and I was like, they were going to know. And then eventually that kind of faded. And I was still like, actually, even if they don't know, because I'm bi, I could end up with either gender is somewhere in between. Like I said, I'm not someone who believes there's two genders, Um, but whoever I'm with and how they're presenting could out me as queer. And so Mm -hmm. could I either meet someone, meet the woman of my dreams, you know, and then give up going to mass um, or make, take the risk and go with her, or I'm married to a man or even have like children with a man. And then I hide who I am. And that's just like such a weird existence because I already oh, fear yeah. that being bi already that if I end up with a man long-term that it like erases part of my queer identity, but even more so in the fact that everyone at church will still think that, Oh, yet another great, you know, uh, ideal family unit here. And I think it continues to erase the great queer families that exist. And it's like, we are a queer family. You just can't see it. Yeah. Well, but I mean, if you went to church with a woman, your presence at church could be sort of an act of resistance. But even if you went with a man and you kind of passed in front of everyone, you would have different access to different 
people in power structures too to sort of advocate for the LGBT community at the same time. So I think there is there's opportunity to witness um, the the queer community to the church in either setting. No, you're totally right, and I think that's the thing is I hadn't really considered the option of showing up. I think I lived in such fear that like, what if we both have this faith in what we sit at home and watch like mass streamed or something because of that. So, um, which I think is what eventually brought me obviously to the Methodist church, um, which I wouldn't have considered back home. I think because I hadn't been fully out yet. Um, I came out and then I moved to to Nashville, like, you know, two weeks later, but I, I think also my church back home was definitely more uh, charismatic Catholic and maybe it wouldn't have been as scared. I think maybe they knew me. There was more of a community. So it's like if I had come out they knew they saw my girlfriend or my wife, like they just have to deal with it. Like this is it. And they know me. So hopefully it would like minister to them. Like, Hey, we're everywhere. You know, me It hasn't changed anything. Right. Um, coming here, being newly out, not having a church community and kind of a more conservative diocese for sure. I felt like completely a fish out of water and I was walking home one day and it's across the street, the church that I had been going to. And then I saw West End UMC and they've got the big rainbow flag out front. And I was like, this, this might be a safe place. You know, I didn't think I would necessarily love it as much because I know there's a lot of, uh, affirming denominations that are for me and what speaks to me a little bit too light show, you know, uh, rock concert types, which totally speaks <laughs> to people, convert so many people. That is awesome. But me coming from this really Catholic background, I'm like, I like going to like a Hillsong concert maybe, but I don't know if I could be like a Hillsong member because I'd be like, but the Eucharist and like, I just want to say the, our father in unison, the hymns, you know, all that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some comfort to that. I think it, 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 it sounds like that was that this like high church versus more contemporary praise and worship rock band vibe, whatever you want to call it form of church was something that you learned about yourself when your family started looking at different churches in in high school and then when you were in college is that was that your experience yeah um and i think i was really like resistant to it at first because i about learning about this about myself so i would just say like i pretty much embraced being outside of the catholic church because i think there was a period where i didn't want to go and i remember like sunday mass was like a struggle for my mom to get us all ready to go and like my dad would go happily, but like he wasn't the one who was like, we have to get to church. So if we were like, no, we're not going, he'd be like, man, do I have to go? So um, <laughs> we had uh, my childhood church, you know, we would go to loved the pastor ended up moving. And I know that's whole like idolatry. You shouldn't like hold it over like one person, but it wasn't just him. It was that like his ideas left with him. Mm-hmm. So when he left, we ended up at that other church because the, whoever took over the pastor after him, I don't even know his name really. Um, he just made everything extremely formal and like buttoned up and just like uncomfortably stiff. It was like fire and brimstone God. And it's so strange because mm-hmm. we all read from like the same readings every week but there's just a tone you know um that was just so different and i wasn't used to and it did feel like this was adult church not even adult church it was florida retiree church so 
that's what they wanted to hear. And my family was like, we're going to go to this other one. Well, the other one still wasn't fully right. So we went there for a bit. Like I said, it wasn't really reaching my sister and they were kind of concerned, just kind of acting out in that age. Uh, and so they were like, let's go to the church. that's literally five minutes away from us that opened up mega church, you know, rock concert, light yeah. show. And it was the actual church service was always like, yeah, all right. But the youth service was really good for me, I think, at that time. And uh, that was like Wednesday nights or something, middle of the week. And it gave me a community of other kids like me because being in school, I either was friends with like a lot of other Latinos who were also Catholic. And I mean, we didn't learn much from each other there. <laughs> we're all like lukewarm about things. Um, or they were completely not church going. And so it gave me this like safer outlet with people to like talk about like, what do you think about these stories and and whatever? And how does this apply? Um, I think what really allowed my parents to leave, because like I said, my mom especially is very much Catholic. And I think the desperation of like trying to reach my sister, but also that she had been really turned off after the spotlight investigation came out from the Boston Globe. And mm-hmm. the years of her really conflicted about it. And my mom works in mental health and she had a lot of clients, you know, when she first started and my mom went to a Catholic college. So she heard these kind of stories, but like on the actual counselor, you know, and therapist side, she was hearing about stories like this. So I don't think it was a huge surprise to her that this happened, but she didn't know the exact scope. So it wasn't the like horrifying reactions some people had in the church were like, what? This couldn't have been happening under our noses or the complete denial by some people. She was like, no, this sounds about right, but oh my gosh, I didn't know it was this bad. And I think that really like hurt her soul for a while there. Um, so she just could not agree with how the church was handling also the scandal. So the lack of responsibility and just the, the disgustingness of it really, um, it wasn't just a scan, a sex scandal, it was involving children. And so, um, I think really when it came time to like, maybe we should find somewhere else, she was open to the idea because she just really couldn't get past that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's so hard about, um, the, the sex scandal in, in the Catholic church that's been unfolding for decades now is, is the amount of cover up that's there. And, and that just seems like such an affront to the values of, of, you know, honoring one another by telling each other the truth that's in, in the Bible and and, in Catholic teaching. And so I, I know for my family, that was, that was also a layer that kind of chipped away at our firm foundation of always going to Catholic mass on Sunday. Um, and then as things have shifted in our family, we've been, we've tried different churches um, and we've been more open because of that. What was your family's response when, um, when you came out and, and how did that kind of, did, did that shake up the, uh, the, the church going nature of, or the church dynamic with your family? I think my family to a degree might have suspected, um, because I had always said like to a degree, I would say starting at like 
the end of high school, maybe to test the waters a bit, even with myself, because I don't think I really knew until after college. But I, around the end of high school, was like, well, yeah, I understand why people would like someone of the same gender, because I think that I like people for who they are. I, I like them mentally more than I like them physically. And so I maybe just haven't met the woman for me. Like it was in there. And I had said that pretty openly to my family. Like, I wonder if I would like met the right girl, I would suddenly be like, oh, um, but I hadn't, you know? So it kind of took, I guess, meeting her to be like, oh, well, this is real. And I should maybe put a label on this, but it only came up in passing here and there. So I think my parents, they're both in the mental health field. Not any, not anymore on my father's side. They both went to education with that background. So, um, but with that also being educators, like they're around kids all the time. And so they didn't necessarily think much of it. I think that they thought they had just raised a pretty progressive and open-minded person. There's an ongoing joke, you know, about like zillennials where I'm at, like between millennial and Gen Z is like, well, everyone's by, like who cares? Um, so there's this openness with this generation that's like, yeah, I mean, sexuality is obviously a spectrum. What are you talking about? And so it was unspoken for a while. Um, but I think I had to put a label and it became really weighty once I realized like, oh, this is me. And I suddenly had all these nerves because saying it in passing like that was one thing. And then saying this is who I am and this is unchanging and here's a label for it um, to my Puerto Rican and Italian family. Um, I, I don't know how much I have to give on detail of like basically all of the stereotypes you've heard are very true, just not in every family. So uh, my concern was they, my parents are both very open um, and accepting of me. I've never felt that they would not accept me as who I am, but I didn't know about this issue because they were open with their clients and then their students, but was it too much for it to be in their home? And I had heard other stories from other Latinos, especially Latinos who had parents that were educators. They were like, well, it's so stupid because they're fine with their students who are gay or queer, you know, and then it was too much for them to be in their own household. So I didn't think it would go poorly, you know, and I was 23 years old at this point. It was kind of like, well, I guess like I could live, could live without their input really on this, but I definitely wanted to say something to them. And so really I should say to her, you know, I, at that point was not talking to my father. I hadn't talked to him for a few years uh, for various reasons. They had divorced uh, my last year of high school and okay. um, it had become a really toxic relationship because I felt like I really had forgiven him for a really big thing, um, you know, hurting our, like our mom. And so uh, with that strained relationship, I really was not concerned at that point. We hadn't spoken, I think in three years. So mm. who cares what my dad thinks? And maybe because he was so, he was like in the Catholic church in a much deeper way than I'd ever seen him be. And so I was concerned that some of the negative aspects, the non-affirming parts of the church were suddenly things he believed. And then whatever, you know, um, if that's the version of Catholicism he follows now, okay, because we don't speak, I don't need to hear it from him. He'll probably hear from someone in the family that I've come out and he can do with that information what he wants. But my mom, I told, um, because 
I I basically told her, oh no, I think I think this is what I am. Um, there wasn't like a big conversation, like or even with myself, like how am I going to do this? How am I going to come out? It was like I said, years of saying basically, yeah, I'm pretty open minded, isn't everyone? And then I guess I'm realizing not everyone is, but um, see, like it was really weird because I never like believed in like oh being struck. It wasn't like love at first sight in any way, but it was like oh gosh, I'm bi <laughs> at first sight. Um, I saw this girl on a story. Um, I'm not mentioning her name because like, I'm almost like embarrassed. I don't think like she knows how important she was to me, but I met her because I was actually asked to do somebody else's story last second. Like they had been working on this for a while and then couldn't. And so I meet her and it's like, she walked into the room and I was like, Oh no. Like it was a truly, uh, the moment of like, it's what I said all these years when I said like, Oh, if I met the right woman, she hadn't even talked yet. I knew enough about her obviously <laughs> with the story and it wasn't, I don't know how to explain it because it definitely wasn't like not to talk her down in any way. It wasn't like, Oh my God, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Um, she was, if anything, like just so cool. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I was just like enamored. And then uh, the more I talked to her, like we had very similar backgrounds. We we're both Latina and both like, well, see, I would say both kind of coming in terms of our queer identity. But at this point, I'm not even out. I'm not even sure what I am. But um, she was kind of sharing that story. And I was just like just so taken by her and afterward like literally that night which is like very um childlike and latina of me to do i call my mom and i would kind of like softly walked her into it like i met this girl and it changed everything and mm-hmm. you're like oh i mean i always think that you can like love someone's spirit or whatever and she's not getting what like i'm i was like no, no no look i've said this before and i think you're still taking it the way that i have before but mom i think i'm bi and she was like, oh, okay, all right. And she called me the next day and she was like, I'm sorry, I feel like I didn't respond as well as I should have. She's like, because this is a big moment for you. And I just want to make sure that you didn't just like know this all along and you're waiting because you think like you're going to date this girl or something. Um, and so you like, you have to come out. Like, I, I hope I've created like a safe enough space for you to feel that way. And I was like, no, really, I, I guess I always knew and didn't realize I knew. Um, but I think it makes a lot of sense to me that the first person was another Latina and I could like say like, Oh, you can be out in Latina and be cool. And like, you didn't die. And, you know, um, Catholic still, you know, so there's that Mm -hmm. too. Like she was still going to mass and I was like, wow, isn't that cool? (laughs) So, um, I just saw like maybe a lot of myself or like who I wanted to be in her. I think for for me too, and and I wonder if this is the same way for for other queer folks when we come out. But like, it is it is empowering to see someone else who's like you move through the world in that way with with a queer identity of some sort. Like that that can be really motivating in a sense of like, oh, this could be a possibility for me as well. And what I'm hearing in your story too is. Um, something that really resonates with me is 
I think how we have these confirming sort of moments, but we have these in faith too. And people share, you know, a, a witness or a testimony of their belief in God. And often it's, you know, one mountaintop like experience they have of, of a light shining down or, or a voice that they've heard. And I see a similarity in, in coming out that there is sort of this, this epiphany, I guess is the word I'm looking for this like revelatory moment where the truth that was always there is suddenly revealed. No, absolutely. I mean, I had never considered that as you're saying it, but absolutely. Um, because I think on the queer side, most of us have the revelation, you know, and I am always just like a stun, you know, inspired by those who always knew. I have my friend Sarah, who I don't think would ever, um, she'd probably be very flattered that I'm mentioning her. I've known her since elementary school. Sarah has always been out. Like she, I think had her first crush when we were like, I'm a year older than her. So I think she was in kindergarten, you know, it's like when first kids are first saying that they like somebody. Um, but see, I think she was the minority in that group. It's like, we watched others take a long time to come out. And obviously I'm saying that as someone who took even longer past high school, past college. And yeah. so I always was like, I wonder how many people one she inspired with that, but, or how many people like look back at that and say, wow, how did Sarah always know? And I see that with faith because we were born into it. A lot of, especially with say Catholics are obviously like, you don't convert more Catholics, you birth more Catholics. <laughs> so, True. <laughs> uh, you know, but look at your dad, look at my dad. Um, so it yeah. happens, but the, yeah. I think that's the rarity. And we don't have testimonies because of that. Like you're, you've been in it. Like you might have moments confirming here and there, like you're saying, but really, um, it's not the big mountaintop type of story that I hear from mostly more Protestant friends, you know? And yeah. I think that when I am talking to other Christians though, and I'm not surrounded by Catholics, I feel weird because they all have these types of stories. They all have these testimonies. And it's like, I almost feel like ashamed that I've always known, or I'm treated sometimes like I don't know God as much as them. It's few and far between, thankfully, but it's enough that that has left a bad taste in my mouth because they have this testimony and I don't. And it's like, look, I could come from on high and say, I'm better than you because I've always known him and I don't. And I don't think that at all. Like, I think that they have the same relationship, a very different one, but it's like, who am I to know what someone's relationship with God is? And to me, they seem like the same level of Christian I am. So it's always funny because I don't have that moment that some people think like, oh, well, you were just raised in it. So this is just what you were told. You didn't feel it. I was like, I, I feel it plenty. And I think my, that side, like the spiritual faith has certainly gotten stronger in, in college and afterward because before that, yeah, I was kind of like learning maybe your family history or something. It's like something you knew and you're a part of as part of my culture. Um, and I knew God, but yeah, as I've gotten older, I would say it's gotten even stronger. So it's always funny to me when I hear that because like, uh, okay, you know, I don't really argue with them and I definitely get, don't get as on high as I just said. <laughs> uh, sometimes mentally I'm like, okay, but that's for them to believe. And, you know, if that strengthens their faith in any way, okay, sure. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have lots of thoughts. Um, but I think like, <laughs> 
I mean, I think the purpose of those testimonies that we hear from more Protestant um, Christians is this idea. I, I guess I would equate it to like, um, you know, when when you ask a couple, how did you guys meet? Like, you're always going to have that story because you came to it later in life or you met this person at some point in your life and you weren't assigned a person when you were born. And unlike Catholics, where you were kind of assigned God and assigned the Catholic Church for when you were born if you're a cradle Catholic. So I think you're right. It is it is a different story, but I I guess I wonder if for if for queer folks specifically, if like our coming out stories can be our witnesses in a way of like not necessarily like how we meet, how we like met God or how we like came to find God in our lives in the traditional sense, but maybe in like how we see God in other people, like how coming to terms with our sexuality, I think allows us to see who we want to be within the world. And, um, and I think a lot, I think that's part of the image of God is, is, is seeing God in other people. And so that's, that's us recognizing that there is God in, in my relationship with this man, and there could be God in my relationship with this woman or this non-binary person, et cetera. Um, I think it, I think we can have it. I think we we can have our own witnesses, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think I had to almost reverse what you're saying. Like you're seeing confirming your identity can then confirm your faith. I think I had to like confirm my faith first, but it was because I was definitely coming to heads with it because I had so many queer friends already. And so I was like, I just know on my spirit, like in the same way I know God exists, I know that this right. isn't wrong. Like I'm being told. And so coming right. to terms with it for other people, like strengthened my faith to the point where I could finally accept it in me. So what I was saying, like with my fear of my parents possibly saying like, Oh, it's fine for, you know, other people I interact with, but it's not fine for my own kid. And I was concerned that that would happen. I think I kind of had that with myself where I was fine with it for others, but I had to do like a real faith reckoning for myself and say like, but are you okay? Can you really biblically back this? Which is so funny because I, it wasn't that I had to back it up for them because I truly felt like they would all die and go to heaven and I would get there. And he'd be like, no, 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 they were fine, but you knew better. You knew that you were supposed to prove this and you didn't. Um, and so you got to get out of here. <laughs> so um, I did that, you know, as we've talked about many times. I mean, the mistranslations, the fact that this, all the issues with the original language of the, anyway, all of that. We know these things. We know this isn't wrong. But I had to prove that to myself and prove it time and time again um, before I was like, it's not just my spirit. Here's the actual historical proof to this as well. But I always feel like those gut feelings are the Holy Spirit anyway. So um, I knew before I knew. It was like I had a hypothesis and I just needed to prove it. How do, how do you feel like, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but how do you feel like the pandemic this year has has sort of adjusted your experience of, um, or maybe like your definition or what you're looking for um, in church now? Yeah, um, it's weird. I've been like, I think pulling from way more sources than usual because before the pandemic, I was just attending church every Sunday and then reading the Bible at home. Um, 
which I continuously, it's like the last year I feel like I've read the book of Esther like three times. Um, so I'm right now rereading the entire Bible, including like the Deuterocanon and the Apocrypha for the first time. And that was because of the pandemic. I mean, I was like, oh, I'm going to read the whole Bible, you know, at the beginning of the year. And then I was like, you know what? Um, I really had to think about the fact, like, am I still Catholic? And the answer is yes. Um, which I have to give probably you a lot of credit there. I don't think you realize that until I ended up doing small group with you too, being surrounded yeah. by other queer people who are Catholic. I didn't think that was like possible. So I was like, oh, I'm just the one weird one who still considers themselves Catholic and will like maybe make it back to church hopefully one day. Um, yeah. So I didn't know it was really a possibility to just be out, not just Christian, but Catholic. And so seeing that, I was like, yeah, no, I am Catholic. And um, it doesn't matter what church I'm at, I'm, I'm still Catholic. And with that, I was like, I need to read the whole Catholic Bible. And then I'm adding the Apocrypha just because of who I am and want to know why some other things were removed, not just by Protestants, but by the Catholic Church as well. Um, reading it very carefully, um, since we do not consider that canon, and I understand why. But um, I love it. You're going deep. It's great. You know, I'm just, I've been joking with some of my coworkers. I'm like going to go to the div school after this, and um, you know, like I'll be ready when I finally have read everything like that. But yeah. <laughs> you'll be more ready than than a lot of first years at the at the divinity <laughs> school. So yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, that's where it starts. Like I just had like this interest, and it's like I need to know more. Um, I really hate cherry picking of anything. You know, it's like professionally even more so now. It's like I already hate so much how we cherry pick Bible verses, you know, when I was growing up, I was like, why are we always harping on this one thing? And like, it's surrounded by all this other text. But then it's like, I got into this profession. And I was like, Oh, I hate this in general, you can cherry pick so much more than the Bible. <laughs> so, um, I was like, I'm facing this in my faith, you know, and in my profession at all times. So knowing it in and out because I cannot hate on them for cherry picking despite me knowing the context a lot more than than they do or they're intentionally ignoring the context whatever it is I did at least feel that I knew that context a lot more I knew these stories because they were very popular but what about all the other things in the middle and I'd read the bible before but it was in high school and I feel like I just read it very quickly and it was reading it like I needed to read a book for class or something. And it's like, just what are the big topics here? You know, so the, what I really retained from it was still those big stories. So reading it now, especially with the full context of the books that like my faith really agrees with, it's like, this is your denomination. You are born into this, know it through and through. Um, it's almost like I am studying it. It is like, I'm, I'm treating it, not like I'm reading a book just for a class very quickly, but like I'm reading it for school, like for a degree. And so uh, I've been treating it like as intentionally as possible. I've been taking like expansive notes on it. Um, and I even started like, I don't, it's not active right now, but I have a Twitter thread in my drafts where I'm pulling like really important notes of the books that other Christians haven't read, um, like Tobit or something. Mm -hmm. And so it helps me to digest things in that way. Same way, I guess I would approach something I would be learning for journalism is why I'm doing it that way too. So um, yeah, but I, I do like give a lot of credit to my aunt who I've not mentioned. I feel bad about not mentioning her until this point because she has always been a very, I would say a very big part of like my spiritual life as well. Um, 
she didn't convert into her late twenties. So she does have the big testimony, like the big story of like how this changed. I've heard it so many times growing up, you know, about how God changed her life. And I would say Jesus, see, like there's a much more of a focus on Jesus, I think outside of mm-hmm. the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say we don't focus on him, but there's definitely more of the Trinity aspect. And like, we're almost like we are almost messianic Jews sometimes um, that like we are treating and I say that having attended Jewish services as well, that I feel like our service runs very similar. It's almost like we are Jews that also believe in Jesus. Um, and we approach it from that angle of like, Oh, there's three in one, but it's one and it's the Lord, our God. And, um, she's like, it's Jesus and also his dad. So, um, you know, it's very interesting seeing that side of it. I think that got me probably more in touch with Jesus who does come up. Don't get me wrong in the Catholic church in Easter. No one does it as dramatic as we do. So there's definitely the blood spilled out and he did this for you. And like I said, the Eucharist. So I I think there was a, a good mix in my family of people from different backgrounds, you know, approaching faith in a different way, but we all have this shared faith at the end of the day, just different ways of expressing it and practicing it. Yeah. And I think that's, to me, that's more apparent now than ever. Um, just the ability to, um, like you're doing to like watch a service at another church and, and get something out of it is much more accessible when it's a live stream on your computer than you driving another 10 miles out of your way and walking in the door and worrying that, you know, the welcome committee is going to assault you when you walk in or something like there's, there's just more room to, um, I don't want to say like creep, but just like, (laughs) but to explore and, and to explore with, um, without much consequence. And, um, I think that's a really kind of beautiful, um, result of, of this time and, and to what you're, you know, doing with the Bible, there's just more time now to kind of dive into, the things that are meaningful to us. And, um, and, and I just, I really, um, I, I've been really appreciating that. And I think it's a really cool opportunity to dig into matters of faith, especially. Yeah. It's a weird thing to be like appreciative of this time, but like, I do appreciate like you're saying, there's never going to be a time like this again, hopefully. Right. Um, in my yeah. lifetime. And so if, the one good thing I can do out of this is dive deeper into the things I love. Um, then why not use this for good? You know? On the topic of like this year, um, you have seen a lot just like as a reporter i think just in the last few months um you're like the it's from what your colleagues say on air like you're kind of like the data guru when it comes to covid-19 testing um at wpln but you've also been like on the ground for the black lives matter protests over the summer downtown um you were covering the the Belmont Watkins um, University merger um, earlier this year, and um, and not to mention you were covering the tornado that happened um, in March here in Nashville. Um, kind of just with all of like all of that in mind, it's been a busy year. What um, as a reporter, like what's giving you what's giving you hope during this time? I don't know. I had always loved the story of Esther, but 
again, it was probably late college that I read it just through this different lens where it's like, I feel like I really identify with that. I think I'm often the, the strong daughter, the strong sibling, the strong friend that like, if we're all going through a shared thing, I'm always the one who's expected to like take this burden on and I do it happily. Um, just type two for sure, <laughs> the Enneagram, but, um, I put often other people before myself and my own comfort, I should say. So even if it's not the, like the, the helper, like they call it type two, it's like, even if I'm not helping in that way, I can help in like easing the burden of like, we can't all be acting like this is the end of the world. One of us has to have it together. And I've always been like that. So that definitely helped in my profession, but reading Esther with me now, like in the adult lens of like, oh, this is me. Like, this is kind of probably permanent now. Like, it's not just me as a kid going through one little phase of being the strong one. You always kind of are, and that's not going to change. And so seeing, especially the very much quoted, it's like Esther 414, um, that she writes to Mordecai when she is, you know, in the palace and is realizing, like, I'm the one who's been chosen of all these women to be the king's new wife but I'm Jewish. And now there's like a bounty out for our heads yet again in the Bible. So she writes to Mordecai and is like, basically like, I can't do this. And he says like, you know, let's back this up, like reassess here. Have you considered that you've been put into this uh, royal position, you know, or like high position? There's a few translations like that um, for such a time as this. And the one that people quote all the time is like, you know, you were born for a moment like this, which is actually like a complete mistranslation. That's not in any translation of the Bible, but people have used this all the time. Perhaps you were born for a moment such as this. And thinking about like being born for a moment such as this is like even bigger, I guess. And I don't think it takes away the full context is that they couldn't say like you're, you know, a royal position because we're not all royal, but for me, I found comfort even before the pandemic in that, um, so much so that I like often when I go to cover a really bad thing, a tornado, a hurricane, you know, I'm from Florida, um, algae blooms too. Thanks Florida. Those types of things. Uh, I got it after a shooting that I covered. It's just a gold bracelet that says like, perhaps you were, uh, born for a moment such as this. And now it's just become this habit of like wearing it when I am knowingly going into a really bad situation or a really important day. Like I even, I've even worn it like on election night and it's like where I really need to be at the top of my game. I'm giving people really important information that will change their lives, um, depending on who's elected. Um, and so I wore it to the tornado coverage, you know, um, I have worn it a lot during the pandemic. So it's one verse. And I would say like, I know the bigger question here is what gives me hope say, obviously all the great things like my family and friends support in these times. But for me in the like literal moment, sometimes um, that's a great reminder. It's like to just kind of like spin the bracelet absentmindedly is like enough to remind me like God's with me and um, I'm not alone. It's interesting because the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God by name. Um, Mm -hmm. Unless we're reading the Catholic Virgin, which has additions to Esther, but for most people and um, even the Jews who were first hearing that story, it's not like God is so present despite his name not coming up at all. And so I've always liked that quote too. It's like, even when God is silent does not mean he's not there. 
And um, in the pandemic, we all feel really alone. But before that, the tornado and the past hurricanes I've covered, those really awful times, um, I it's a nice reminder to have that one verse to turn to and say, like, perhaps you were born for a moment like this, knowing the full context that, like, I was born because God wanted me to be born and he's never like left me this whole time, even if I'm the one on the ground right now doing whatever I'm doing, you know, it's through a lot of the power I get from my own faith, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, I, and I, I'm, I'm sure so many others in, in our city too are so thankful for you and your colleagues too, for doing the work that you're doing right now. It's, it's tremendously important. Um, it always has been, but it seems especially so, um, this year. So thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. It's never offensive when someone says, I think it's always been important. No, you're right. This is more important (laughs) important than anything I've ever done. Um, but you know, it's cause like we're, we're part of the community, you know, same thing with like the tornadoes was like, we we live here you know this hit yeah. this hit us too you know um so yeah thank you well that is all the time we have thank you so much for um for sharing your stories and your faith um with me today this has been um just a wonderful conversation thanks so much for having me a special thanks to rachel for coming on the show you can find her on instagram at rachel Yacovone. You'll find that link in the show notes along with other resources mentioned in this episode. I'm your host, Greg Thompson. Our editor is Cariad Harmon, and our theme music is by JP Rajiri. We are continuing to record from my apartment here in Nashville, and so a special thanks is due to my partner, Michael, for tiptoeing around while I host these conversations. You'll continue to hear new episodes from us on a monthly basis for the time being, which means you'll see us more often in your feed and have a bit more time to digest each episode. And due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been adapting our production this season to allow for safe, remote interviews. This has come at some unexpected expense, and so if you love our show, we'd love your support. You can give back on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Learn more over at patreon.com slash out loud stories. And if you haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button so you get the latest episodes right when they drop. And for more inspiration and behind the scenes looks at the show, be sure to find us on social media at OutLoudStories and sign up for our email newsletter. You'll find all the links I just mentioned in those handy dandy show notes. And remember friends, Queer people have faith lives too. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And as we live into this year that has given us lots of challenges, I hope you are adapting your rituals and your spiritual practices. May you find peace and an open heart in the days ahead. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.